Hello, and welcome to the Collider Podcast. I'm Collider Senior Editor Matt Goldberg, and with me is Managing Editor Adam Chitwood. Buongiorno. Today we are talking about Pixar's new movie, Luca. The film recently arrived on Disney+. Plus. We'll be staying free of spoilers on this one, but we did want to talk about the film, uh, specifically its themes. Uh, I think there's a lot to explore there. And then probably talk about how it compares to other Pixar films. We always do this when a Pixar film comes out. We're like, well, what does this mean for Pixar? Um, and sort of the weight of it. And this is, this is the only Pixar movie this year, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I know that Disney animation has multiple films coming this year because Encanto is due out later this year, correct? I think I think so. it's due out in November. Let I could be wrong. Let me prove you wrong. No, you're right. You're it's right. November. All right. Awesome. It's November. It's Thanksgiving. But Pixar is the only Pixar movie this year. And it's an interesting one. You know, it's I think on the surface, it's a film that feels kind of slight. If you were to just describe the plot of it, it's like two sea monsters who can look human as long as they're dry, go to a small Italian Italian village to try to win a Vespa <laughs> because <laughs> Vespas are off. Like, I also love like the film is just like working from like the premise, like Vespas are dope <laughs> yes. and like Vespas you would obviously favorite. want one. And I was like, after watching this movie, I was like, Vespas are dope. How much I was, I went, I literally was started like pricing Vespa <laughs> after this movie. And I know too many people grand. who have had really horrible crashes on Vespas that. Uh, oh man, don't say that. <laughs> I want you to be like, I know, I, I, I'm hoping you're just like, I know people who have been bought, who've bought Vespas and they have nothing but good things to say <laughs> about the experience. No, they've had like, had to have, both of them had to have leg surgery afterwards. So Thank fun you. times. Thank you for that. <laughs> you ruined your dream. I was, and it had me pricing trips to Italy. And now Adam's going to be like, and I know people who went to Italy and they died. <laughs> they died because they were in Italy. Uh, but it's, you know, on the surface, it's a lovely film. I think, you know, kids will enjoy it. It's cute. It's funny. It is, to quote the Disney party line, a story about friendship, which I feel is a little weak sauce to sort I think it's honestly selling the movie way short. If you're like, it's a story about friendship because all the Pixar movies are about friendship. Mm -hmm. They're all buddy films. That's their plot construct. There, you will not see a Pixar film led with, like you will not see a Pixar ensemble movie and you will not see a Pixar film with only a single protagonist. They are all buddy films. That's just <laughs> yeah. the way they work. Um, I guess maybe the exception to that is Incredibles. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. A family film. It's a family, but it's really tough. Most of them are buddy films. And so, yes, technically Luca is another buddy film, but I think there's more happening there. I said so in my review. Uh, before we get to that, Adam, what were your sort of overall thoughts on Luca? I thought it was sweet. I mean, I think it takes a little bit to get going. The beginning of it, you're like, ah, oh, is this all there is? Really? really? Good. Like it doesn't. So they're sea monsters, but it's not like a little mermaid type deal where it's like, now let's see what the sea monster world looks like. Like, let's, you know, what is their day to day? What is their city like? What are the other people? It's very contained, but that is a recurring theme throughout the film. And is one of the reasons I liked it so much is that the stakes are really low, uh, relatively speaking, and the world is very small. So as opposed to something like Onward, where, you know, it's a big journey or even the Toy Story movies where it's like, we've got to get from here to there. And if we don't like everything is over. Like we lose Andy or we lose whatever, or we've got to save whoever. Um, 
as you said, this is just two boys who want to win a best ball. Uh, and one of them is kind of running away from home a little bit, but home is not too far. So it's, you know, not that big of a deal. Well, and there's not a lot of work, like, you know, Pixar films, especially lately have been marked by their world building. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you said, onward, but also soul is, a, you know, they really go into the, and that. the stakes of soul are literally life and death <laughs> are literally <laughs> life and death, but also like inside out or Coco, like these are like big sort of fantastical worlds yeah. of like, we are going to take you somewhere. And this is like, we are going to take you to a lovely seaside Italian village in post-war Italy. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's great. It's like, that's the thing. I actually really liked the small scale of it. Mm-hmm. I think you know, and and maybe Disney felt that it was too small scale, and that's why they're like, yeah, just dump it on Disney Plus uh, as a free, as a free, not free. I mean, you're paying for Disney Plus, but you don't have to pay extra for it like you do yeah. with Cruella, uh, or even or even Raya and the Last Dragon. Uh, that just you know, Pixar. This this is a small film, but I think it's just, you know, I don't think small is the right adjective. I think intimate is really the better yeah. word for it. And, and I think that gives it its strength. Well, it's an intimate film, but it's also a film that dreams big. So one of the things you get pretty early on in the film is that the, the lead character, um, let me get his name right, uh, Luca. That's the name of the movie. I was going to say. Adam. Good job, Adam. I, did, I was like, are you, are you looking for his last name? Because <laughs> he does have a uh, last name. It's Italian. He daydreams a lot and you kind of fall into these daydreams, which are fantastical and kind of get a little bit big, but still not too big. Um, but to that point, I think Dan Romer's score and Dan Romer did the score for Beasts of the Southern Wild and Wendy, the two Ben Zeitlin films. Um, and he scored a bunch of Carrie Fukunaga stuff like Maniac. He was scoring No Time to Die, but was replaced by Hans Zimmer. Um, but his work is very kind of sweeping and grand in a way that feels different, I guess. Um, and I think that fits the film really well. So it's kind of this, it's this intimate story, intimate scale with ideas, big ideas just outside of reach, you know, cause, cause Luca wants to kind of break free. He wants to break out a little bit. He's never been outside his little home and he's in this little village, but that is just one small part of a very big world. Yeah. I guess the question with Luca is how thematically granular do you want to get with it? Because on it, on a macro scale, it is kind of a story about two outsiders who want to see the world you know who dream who have big dreams and the vespa is sort of their way their the reason they want the vespa is not just because vespas are dope but because the vespa will allow them to travel together and see the world even though luca's parents are like the world is dangerous because if people see you for who you are then they're going to fear and resent you and hurt you and then so you like you make it a little smaller it's like oh it's a movie about outsiders or you make it it's like maybe it's about just you know bigotry and persecution but when you really get down to it if you get down to what is this friendship how is it defined how is it depicted luca is a story is, is a gay love story it's a story of, it's almost a, a first love story yeah. um and i think that's kind of lovely i think it's great that they went there and and to be fair i don't want to you know other animation is is been doing this stuff like Steven Universe is very LGBTQ uh, friendly. I believe there was an episode with a gay wedding in Steven Universe. So it's not like Pixar and, and, and we should also be like, you know, the fact that it has to be coded as such, there are just limits on what Disney wants to do. Like Disney is fine being like, we'll have a rainbow avatar on our Twitter page. But you know, if you want to be like, we want this movie to be openly gay, they're like, well, slow down, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. 
this isn't you know we'll we'll do a victory lap if if a if a man dances with another man but we're not going to just say gay love stories are okay even though they are and this one is quite lovely but you have to sort of pick up on the subtext of it and accept it as such um and i i mean i can understand I always try to be cautious of not trying to like read into things that aren't there. But yeah. literally after, after watching that Adam and I hopped on the phone, it's like, it, it's gay, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, it seems kind of gay. And that's, that's, and so it, I, I was not the only one who saw this. Well, and it, it feels purposeful. So it, that's why I like, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills when the director's like, no, 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 it's just a story about friendship because there are scenes that feel even the language being used in these scenes feels very specific to, and it's not a, it, it's not gay in a sexualized way. Like the, this movie does not even touch going near uh, call me by your name levels of things, but it kind of this story of, uh, I mean, so like at face value, these two boys who are sea monsters go into the village and they turn into humans when they're dry. So their interior selves are not seen to the world. And so there is this whole thing about like, don't show your true self and deny your true self and learning to become accepting of your true self. All of that is encompassed and, and addressed within the film. So it just feels feels like I'm taking crazy pills. And there are like even little touches where like they're touching each other's shoulders or one of them is giving a look to another one. And then right. the finale, which I will not spoil, feels very emotional in that way. Right. Well, I think that's sort of the emotional heft of it. And again, like you can you can have a gay love story without it being sexual. Like, yeah. I mean, you can have a heterosexual love story. We've seen countless heterosexual love stories without it being remotely sexual. That's, yeah. you know, how many Disney animated films are love stories? where, you know, that's, that's, you know, those princess stories are sort of built around that, but they're not sexual. They're just love stories. Uh, they're very chaste as, you know, they should be there for children. Um, but, and this one is, it's chaste, but it's just, it's a homosexual love story and that's fine. I think that's good. And I think it's important to have that kind of representation and be seen. Although I always say, I'm saying this a lot with the asterisks, the caveat, like there are limits, like they're, you know, maybe down the line, you know, they will have an openly gay, instead of it being coded as such, it will be just this character is gay. But I think Disney is a long way from that. And, and I think that's why it's important to call them on it when they're like, we did a, you know, this character is gay. And you're like, but there's nothing like there's nothing to either denote their homosexuality as re, as significant or there's nothing to denote this character as significant. So like in Cruella, it's like this supporting character is gay, but it's like, but they don't do any, like they're just sort of effeminate and they make clothes. <laughs> like that's not the thing. And then they're like, this character from Avengers Endgame is gay. It's like, I don't know what his name is, but he talked about having a date with a man. That's not really, like if this is what you want credit for, you need to do better. This is, these are small potatoes for the one of the biggest companies on earth. And the reason it's small potatoes is because it's easily excised for international territories. Yes. Uh, where, you know, they may not go for it. So you can still make that international money, but without, but still you can get the credit stateside. But I don't think they deserve the credit. I think Luca deserves credit to an extent because at least it's coded in such a way that like you can, you can see it if you want to. 
Yeah, and I mean, Pixar has been notoriously slow. Uh, Pixar makes great films, but even they have been slow with progress. It took them 13 films to make their first one with a female protagonist. So I do still think we're a bit of a ways away. Um, and Soul was the you know first one with a black protagonist. And that in and of itself had issues because the and then, writer <laughs> and director were white. Right. And then there's the whole, I mean, if you want to go back to the female protagonist, I mean with brave they like took it away yeah. it was it was a personal mother-daughter story from brenda chapman and they're like let's take it away from you and give it to this guy mm-hmm. yeah so let's you know pixar they make great films but you know i think if you want to appraise the the studio and be honest about it you have to also know note their pitfalls but it does feel like we're at a point where things are changing a little bit with the with the departure of Lassiter and the arrival of Pete Docter as the one running the show. You know, these I don't think it's a coincidence. These first few movies are Soul, Luca. Uh, next up next year is Turning Red, which is directed by Dome Shi. Um, uh, and she, she directed she, Bao. She directed Bao, which was great. Um and then you have Lightyear, which is just like a Buzz Lightyear movie. Uh, but these first few movies, they are, I mean, not Soul, but uh, Luca and Turning Red are new directors to Pixar. Like they have not directed a feature film at Pixar before versus that whole thing of kind of like sticking with the old guard. Um, and like fresh stories, hopefully. I mean, we'll see. I don't, we don't know much about Turning Red or, or what it's about really, but I'm excited to see that from, you know, a new a new artist. I mean, we've talked, we've been doing this podcast for long enough that every time a Pixar com- movie comes out, we talk about the past and future, past, present, and future of Pixar. Um, but it does at this point feel like that old guard is gone. You know, the days of Pete Doctor, Andrew Stanton, John Lasseter, Lee Unkrich, just kind of like taking turns directing movies are, are no longer happening. And they are now kind of expanding outside that realm. Um, and I think it's for the better. I think yeah. if you are like, it's one thing to be like, we can romanticize the, the tooth, you know, the late, you know, the late nineties, you know, tooth, you know, the two thousands essentially of Pixar. And that's fine. Like those are great movies. They went on a hell of a streak, but at, at some point you have to be like, are we, you know, we have to make room for, for new, new voices, new directors. And I think the benefit of that is you get more exciting film. And of course, you know, there is sort of a, a caveat here where it's like new directors with soul being, Pete Doctor again, you know, and he's like, and that's fine. I think Soul is great, and I think Pete Doctor is a great director. But I also think like I'm more excited for like, as you said, like we. This is the I forget the director, the name of the director of Luca, but he previously directed La Luna. Yeah, Enrico Casarosa. Enrique, yeah, and then you know you have Domishi for for Turning Red. Um, I don't know who's directing the Buzz Lightyear movie, but um, I don't know that they even. Oh, uh, Angus McLean who oh he directed a bunch of short films so toy story of terror small Mm. fry and he co-directed finding dory okay so you know i think it's good to sort of open those doors back up because i do think pixar was playing it safe for a little while as well like i think if you look at like pixar in phases it's sort of the first phase is you know hits after hits after hits and then there was like they get straight up bought by disney and disney's like make a bunch of sequels so you get a lot of you get you know toy story 3 and and monsters university and incredibles 2 and finding dory and and you know you kind of squeeze in some some originals in there but it's all it's a lot of sequels and now we're cars 2 cars 2 and cars 3 (laughs) Um, 3, a movie that exists 
a movie that exists about wrestling with old age <laughs> so when you're a car <laughs> <laughs> and you know it's but i think it's it's more exciting now it's like young director young new directors and things that earn sequels so for me films like luca and, and uh turning red are are exciting for the future of the studio yeah yeah uh, you know it's a bit of a bummer that Luca is being dumped on Disney plus. I am curious to see, this is the first time this has happened with a Pixar movie. Soul was not dumped. No one, like no one was going to theaters in December 20 or few people were going to theaters in December, 2020. Um, by and large, it appears that a lot of people watch soul. So I am curious to see if people are going to watch Luca or if it has that stink of, uh, you know, oh, it's a Disney plus movie because let's not forget when Disney plus first launched, you know, they had the Mandalorian, but their original films were really bad. It was like, no, whoa, 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 whoa. I will not have the Togo slander. In <laughs> I still have not seen Togo. Those are good doggos. I will Adam. admit they're good dogs. Togo. <laughs> but it, it was like Noel and stuff like, and like, like a live action like, lady in the tramp. Yeah. yeah. Like magic camp, but they just felt so it felt like their direct to DVD arm was now mm-hmm. Disney plus. And I don't think that's necessarily true anymore. Clearly they are now making more content for directly for uh, Disney plus. Um, but it felt like a dumping ground of sorts uh, at the beginning. Right. Well, you can't have it both ways where it's like, I, again, I understood that there, you know, the, the pandemic caused complications of release, but like something like Artemis Fowl, that was just like straight up, like, <laughs> Nope, this is not good. We tried. We basically made it twice. It sucks. Just dump yeah. it on Disney Plus. Throw you it can't, on there. You can't be a dumping ground and be like, come check out our movies. Yeah. yeah um, I do. I will say the, the thing that perplexes me about Luca's release is that you could be like, well, it's a kid's movie, but the kids aren't vaccinated yet. Um, so it should just, just send it straight to Disney Plus. However, Ryan the Last Dragon gets the theatrical and mm-hmm. uh, premiere access release, and that's a movie for kids as well. So, like, I don't understand the logic. I guess is is my whole thing. my and I have no insider information, but my gut feeling, just based on reading interviews with other like with people like Kevin Feige and stuff, where it's very clear that Disney Plus is the primary focus of the Walt Disney Company right now, is that Pixar was given an ultimatum: you got to give us one. Which one do you want? And it was like Luca. <laughs> Luca is the one. So you gotta you, or, give us one. <laughs> or not even you gotta give us one, but like we need high quality, high profile content right. that uh. you can only get on Disney Plus this summer. What is it going to be? Because Black Widow is gonna go hybrid. So right. a lot of people are gonna go to the theater. They won't be signing up for Disney Plus to watch it. So but that's the thing. I don't know how many people will sign up for Disney Plus for Luca because it's not like a sequel. It's not I don't like think a, anyone. That's the thing is it feels like a dump to me. It feels like a dump. Like it doesn't feel like a, like I'm excited. I was excited for it. And like, I was, you know, and I think it's a good film, but also like, I don't understand like how, I think you get way more people potentially signing up for Disney Plus with something like Monsters at Work. Mm-hmm you know, which has the name, like, oh, it's the Monsters, Inc. world, but, like, it's another aspect of it, and it's from Pixar. Like, that, to me, makes way more sense yeah. than Luca, but, you know, so, I mean, Disney's well, Luca gonna go- also feels like it just doesn't really fit their whole branding thing. Like, I, I 
you know, I went to Orlando to cover the Jurassic World Velocicoaster opening last weekend, which was my first trip post-pandemic. I'm vaccinated, so I felt safe doing it. But we went to Disney World. There's no Luca merchandise anywhere at Disney World. Mm. And like almost every Disney thing is made to be like, what is the merch that is going to be in the parks? Although I guess to be fair, there was no Onward merch either, but that was- And I don't think there's any Soul merch. No. Well, there was. Oh, there was? Epcot- in the American Pavilion, that was where the soul, the, like the the um, like gift shop in the, I can't remember the proper name for it, but like uh, the America in the World Showcase in Epcot, that gift shop was soul centric, which I thought was funny, but you know, better than, I don't know what else they would put in there, but that was where they had put all of their soul merch was in Epcot in the America World Showcase. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder if all the Luca merch is in the Italian Showcase. <laughs> I, I didn't see any. We walked through there. Um, right. It may have been, but this is what I'm thinking. Th- uh, this is what I'm saying is like, what? It, well, I guess soul is also probably hard to like, you know, I want to buy a, a doll of this piano man, <laughs> a piano playing <laughs> man. It's usually like, oh, Mike Wazowski, he's funny and he can make noises, blah, blah, blah. So, like with Luca, and they're not even in their sea monster, you know, forms for very much throughout the film. Um, yeah, it would just be like, like a little doll of like a little Italian boy. Hey! I want a Vespa! No, I want a Vespa! <laughs> uh, yeah, I think we're starting to come across the reason why Disney is dumping. <laughs> I think we've, we're sort of untangling it. It is. I would love to have heard the internal conversations that went on because it does feel like Pixar got away with something a bit here. Mm. It is frustrating that the filmmakers are not necessarily copying to it or um, you know, talking about it in that way. But it does feel like it's something that, I don't know, if in the upheaval or the Fox acquisition, Disney just wasn't paying attention. They're like, wait, 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 where's all the IP potential in this movie you guys made? Like, oops, we forgot to make any. So. Nope, they just want a Vespa. They yeah. just, the just boys want a Vespa. Straight to Disney Plus with you. <laughs> so is there like a world we can build out? You know, can no. we do anything with like a video game? No, it's just a little town. No, it's really it's just, just a courtyard. So. Yeah. <laughs> but cool. uh you know if you want to start manufacturing vespas <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny yeah um but yeah i i dug luca and uh, i hope i do hope people check it out on disney yeah. plus i i know it's not the ideal thing ideal place for it but i think kids will enjoy it they will not i mean for kids they'll just be like it's a friendship story um older viewers might be like huh they're really close. <laughs> <laughs> it's also quite funny. And I also think the animation is interesting. Like it's not, it's not the Pixar humans that you're used to seeing in like the, no, it's not, which, which really hit home because there's now that, is it like a TikTok filter or something where like, Oh yeah. Put I think so. Animated Pixar face on, yeah. <laughs> like on people in real time. And like, that's the Pixar style and that's not Luca. So I thought that was interesting. No, it's a little bit more cartoony, which in a good way. I, yeah. I liked it a lot. And I thought the voice performances were were really good from Jacob Tremblay and Jack Dylan Grazer. Yes. And the one scene with Sasha Baron Cohen. <laughs> yes. Sasha Baron Cohen has the cameo and it's wonderful. Yeah. Um, Two scenes if you stick around after the credits. Yes. Uh, all right. Well, is there anything more to say about Luca or Pixar? Uh, just that it's well worth checking out. And also I think it's a pretty good summer movie. Like it's a nice movie mm, to put yeah. on on like a hot Saturday afternoon where you're just kind of relaxing inside. It'd be a nice movie to put in theaters if they had done that. Yes, it would have. <laughs> it's, it's very summery. Uh, okay, well with that, let's move on to Recently Watched. Uh, what have you seen lately? 
well, I don't really have anything. I thought we were going to talk about your thing. I just wanted well, to I, talk about I, I didn't want to. I, if you had something you want to talk about, I didn't want to cut you off. But yeah, we'll talk about my thing. Which yeah, is that you, you got, got me- first. I will see if there's anything I can remember that I. Oh, I, there is something. Yes. <laughs> I will say. Um, so I interviewed, depending on when you're, actually, I guess if you're listening to this, it's not up yet. Um, I interviewed the director of a documentary called Wolfgang that's on Disney plus. I also interviewed Wolfgang Puck for the documentary. Um, and the documentary is nice, but I wanted to talk about chef's table because it's the same filmmaker, David Gelb. Um, and chef's table has been going on on Netflix for the last like four or five years. And David Gelb, he's a pretty young filmmaker. He directed Jiro dreams of sushi. Um, but the really nice thing, especially if you like food and food shows chef's table is Shable is really different because it's very much a documentary series. So each episode is an hour long and each episode is about one chef. And it delves into the life of that chef, you know, their backstory, their upbringing, how they came to be cooking, how they came to be at the restaurant that they are at right now, a really warts and all portrayal of like what they went through to get here. And through that, you come to like understand their entire outlook on food and cuisine. Um, and no two chefs uh, are the same in that regard. But one thing that was pretty revolutionary about what David Gelb does is, is he shoots all the food stuff like a film. It's very cinematic. There's no zoom lenses. So the food, you know, it's not like fluorescent lights and like, look at this, don't you want to eat it? It really kind of brings the food to life in a really interesting way. But the food is almost beside the point in Chef's Table. And, and that's one of the things that, that, I, that I like about it. So if you're at all interested in food or cuisine or cooking, I highly suggest checking it out because it's also just really insightful in terms of um, kind of opening your mind about food and about cuisine and about, uh, you know, how differently chefs approach uh, how they make food. Yes, I will definitely check it out because I love Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Love that movie. You were about to say something. Where were you going to laugh at? One, one likes rice and chicken. <laughs> one likes rice and chicken. I did ask the director about one like, like rice and chicken. And he, he said, of course he's seen it and he loves it. Um, and he thinks it's very emotional and like works really well as its own thing. But he said for him as a documentary filmmaker, there is he genuinely believes there's no greater honor than to be on documentary now. So he was very nice. happy to be in there. Uh, <laughs> so now just think about one likes rice and chicken. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Adam uh, got me a, a birthday gift um, a couple of weeks ago. He got me Seth Rogen's uh, memoir, uh, yearbook. And we actually tried to get Seth Rogen on the podcast to talk about it. Uh, they never got back to us. I sent, <laughs> I sent, I sent the email to the publisher and be like, Hey, you know, we, we would like to talk to him. And they're, they're like, ha ha ha. No. And except they didn't even bother with that. Well, and then I saw he was doing like all the big podcasts. I was like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, no, he was doing like big podcasts, like real podcasts, not yeah. not us. Uh, and I'm, but I still wanted to read the book. And the book is kind of frustrating because Seth Rogen is like a busy, like I don't want to say like Seth Rogen is lazy because he's not lazy. He's a very busy guy. He's running, right now he runs The Boys. He's has, I'm sure he has other scripts in development. He's acting. So he, he keeps a busy schedule, but the year reading your book, it's like, I got the second draft of like, of him sort of just telling funny stories and there was no real, like, okay, let me, let me, I'm telling a story. Let me go deeper. Let me see if I can probe deeper. Let me see if I can, and really work at this and really make a great book. It's more like, oh, I wanted to tell some funny stories and here's a publisher that wants to publish it. And they were like, we're not going to push back on Seth Rogen. It, he'll give us a book. We'll publish it. People will buy it because it's Seth Rogen. And it's 
fine. I think it's it has some interesting stories in it. It is kind of the book that you expect. Like half of it is like, and here's the story of me being on drugs. And here's the story of like Hollywood. Like it, it tells you what you want. But there are some interesting stories in there. Like I think his sort of, there's a chapter of him sort of going back and forth with Jack Dorsey on like Twitter's verification of Nazis. And there is a story about how Nicholas Cage, like the Green Hornet stuff is fascinating because I, I, I can tell that he is really conflicted about Green Hornet, not just from the books, but just from everything he said on it, because it sounds like a film where he was frustrated by, like he wanted, like he liked comic books. He wanted to make a good comic book movie and he was frustrated by the whole experience. He was frustrated that, you know, he wanted Stephen Chow to direct and then he wanted him to, and to co-star and Stephen Chow just kept giving them notes and notes and notes and delaying and delaying and delaying. So they finally get Michelle Gondry. And then, you know, the film's reception being what it was, but there's an interesting story about how they wanted Nicholas, like a name that was given to them to make the movie was Nicholas Cage as the villain. And they're like, well, all right, well, we'll meet with him. And he comes in um, as this, he wants to play it as a bah- as a white Bahamanian. <laughs> At first, Seth Rogen's like, Bohemian? No, Bahamanian. There are white Bahamanians. Like, I'm sure there are, but it seems kind of racist. <laughs> and like, Nick, like Nicolas Cage likes to make choices and like Seth Rogen obviously didn't go for it and the villain role ended up getting you know, going to Christoph Waltz anyway um, but then Nicolas Cage was upset because he thought that that like Seth Rogen had told James Franco about that and that's where James Franco got the idea for Alien in Spring Breakers but it wasn't so just it's these sort of fun little stories like that but not only thought that but like called Seth Rogen to uh like a lunch or whatever to a lunch to to to, 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 to to arguably discuss something else <laughs> but then immediately led with did you like allow Seth, James Franco to steal this character that I invented and then when Seth Rogen said no, he's like, I have to leave. Just takes off. So yeah, like Hollywood's a weird place. Um, and uh, you know, I, I think Seth Rogen, I think it's a good book in the sense that Seth Rogen's a pretty seems like a pretty down-to-earth guy. Like it's not a book with like it's not about like I have access to grind so much as much as just like Hollywood is weird and I've been, you know, living this life as a comedic writer since I was a teenager um but I just I felt it could have gone deeper I think that's my main issue with your book is like I have sort of especially for someone who's someone as a a book about someone who's written screenplays the process of writing screenplays like there's nothing really in there about Superbad like he talks a little bit about how Superbad was inspired by you know his his teenage years and you know a little bit about that but not really like the struggle to get it made or there's very little about freaks and geeks there's very little about his working with Judd Apatow there's nothing on 40 year old virgin there's you know it, it's really just a collection of like these are stories I think are amusing which is fine but yeah. I I don't know as someone who's like reveres William Goldman's which lie did I tell I was like you can do better man you can do better than this because you like you've been in it and also your position as Seth Rogen is pretty secure right now like you have your own production company you're a brand that, you know, as Hollywood is like, I, I know what I like Seth Rogen for. Like you have, like, I would say like if Seth Rogen was like, I'm going to tell you honestly about, and, and that honesty is still kind of in the book. So it's not like he's like, oh, I'm afraid about blowback. But 
I don't know. It's, it's not the, it's a book that's good. It could have been great. I think is my, is my one sentence review of your book. Yeah. I don't disagree with that. I haven't finished it yet. Um, but it's enjoyable. I think it was just his whole, and I've heard him talk about it. He said, never wanted to write like an actual memoir or anything like that. That wasn't interesting to him, but if he could find a way to just like tell some funny stories just because he, you know, he, t- he said like, I guess the inspiration was like telling stories on late night talk shows was like fun for him. And it seemed like those got really good responses. So if he could just like write a book about that, then that would be fun or funny. But I agree with you. I'm, I'm much more interested in the kind of behind the scenes machinations and like the struggles and all of that stuff. And that's not really uh, well, and, do that much. And even as memoir, like as like there, it's, it doesn't really feel all that personal. It doesn't feel like, like there's not a lot of like pathos to it, which again, you're not, I'm not owed Seth Rogen's pathos. Uh, but again, it's just like, here's a collection of funny stories. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, that's, cool. it's slight, you know, but um, thank you for the gift. <laughs> I don't mean to crap all over your gift. <laughs> You're was, welcome. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's where my thoughts on, uh, although I will say there was one interesting aspect of, and I, about the book, which is that Seth Rogen is like, he sort of, I don't want to say he comes after critics, but he's like, critics seem kind of mean. And it's like, why would you go after this? And on the one hand, I was like, you know, as a critic, I don't go after things to, to be mean. I don't, you know, I'm not like, ah, ha, ha, that'll show them. Um, but I also feel like this is like me engaging. Like, I understand that your art is hard to make and that like you work really hard on it. Um, and that, you know, but this is also like me engaging with it. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not out here trying to like drag down Seth Rogen, yeah. but also at the same time, like as a critic, I'm, I kind of make it a policy, like I'm going after something that has been established, even if it's at a festival, like it's from a major festival, like that's hard to get into. I'm not like, I'm not going after someone's student films. Whereas like, if I give a negative review to the Green Hornet, I, I got to roll out the Don Draper. That's what the money is for. Yeah. <laughs> like you were, ultimately, I'm sorry it didn't work out, but also you were paid handsomely to play make, to do make-believe. Like, I yeah. mean, this is, we, we have to accept some sort of balance here. You know, this is not poor defenseless, you know, Seth Rogen. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm not saying, again, I'm not out here trying to be mean or being like, oh, because he was paid, I can be harsh. I'm just saying like, I also sleep pretty well at night. You know, I'm not like, oh man, I hope I didn't hurt this wealthy actor's feelings. <laughs> so th- those are my thoughts. He'll never listen to this podcast. He won't be on this podcast. <laughs> so I was fine. Just you wait. Just, yeah. Well, oof, oh. <laughs> what if? Imagine. Can you imagine? All right. Uh, well, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, if you want to keep up with this podcast, you should follow us on Twitter. Adam, where can we find you on Twitter? At Adam Chitwood. And you can find me at Matt Goldberg. Thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll be back with you next week.